This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Boy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hey, everybody, it's Kevin Rutia here with Digital Marketing Fastlane. Today, I have a very special guest, Nick Bradley from Scale Up, Scale your, up your Business, Kevin. Scale Up Your Business, one of the top-rated podcasts out there in the world. Nick is going to talk to us today about a lot of his experience, but also how he acquires companies, how he spills them up, and how he helps other entrepreneurs do this for themselves and for his other companies. Introduce yourself and maybe a little bit about your podcast and what you've been doing. Sure. Yeah, no problems. Listen, Kevin, great to be on the show. Absolutely pleased to be here and add as much value to your listeners as I can. So a little bit of context. My name is Nick Bradley. I effectively buy, scale and sell businesses for a living. I've been doing that for 25 years, last 10 years, working very, very closely with some of the largest private equity firms in the world. I suppose the claim to fame is I've been involved personally with three 10-figure exits. The last one was a, a business that we sold to Blackstone Private Equity in 2017 for $2.3 billion. Over the last decade, I've been involved with 22 separate transactions. So lots of experience, kind of up the chain, bigger deals, but the same mechanics behind those deals are applicable to anyone. So these days I'm focused on building out my own empire. I've got a portfolio of seven companies right now, another three in the pipeline. And I help entrepreneurs and investors do exactly what I do. And, and when I say entrepreneurs and investors, anyone who wants to come into this world of creating wealth through acquisitions. I teach people how to buy and sell businesses for a living. Nick, and I have a question for that. What's the difference between something like you do versus let's say going to a VC firm? What's similar and what's different? Is a VC firm just giving you money and are you or your team kind of help money plus help a company grow? It's an interesting question. VC, I mean, you talk about the whole investment landscape. Venture capital, the whole model behind VC is, is speculative bets. So they're going to put small amounts of money into a multiple amount of businesses, 30, 40, 50, sometimes depending on the um, uh, investment thesis. And they're expecting one, two, three, 10 out of that 40 or 50 to actually return. And quite often one or two of those businesses absolutely return. Now, the difference between what I do and VC is, as I said, VC are taking small bets. Mm -hmm. So they might be taking 20% of a company, 30% sort of max. I buy the businesses outright. So I'm not investing not interested. This is going to sound really, really crass, right? I'm not interested in letting someone else run my investment. I'm an active investor. I want to put the teams in. I want to call the shots. I don't want to run the business. I just want to be strategically overseeing it. For people listening, investors go there, give you money, and then you go out there and build your dream. Where Nick is a little bit opposite, where you probably have a business already. You're doing something semi-right. And then Nick, you want to come in and acquire them and basically make it structurally better. Yeah. And the other thing I do, this is probably the best opportunity for people. If people have got an existing business, they think that the pathway to growth is organic, right? Which mm -hmm. predominantly means sales and marketing. And this is probably quite, I think, poignant for this podcast. And that's fine. You should definitely have an organic strategy, but in some situations to get faster growth, you want to be more strategic and that that's acquisitions. And I'll just give you a very, very small, quick bit of insight. I've helped people who have got company in a certain sector buy their competitor or buy a series of competitors actually, and just simply buy the customers. And then they bolt that all into their existing business and the existing product range. And they can literally triple the size of their customer book in the space of a few months. I've gotten that concept because I'll give you a little information. So I have an outdoor gear company and we sell hiking poles. 
we were selling outdoor gear, but also in the market to acquire other smaller websites in this space that talked about hiking and trekking. We wanted to buy them out because we knew that these websites were getting traffic. And now we wanted to put our ads or products in front of these customers. You buy in these websites around that summer space. And for people listening to the US, mattress companies, the big companies out there doing like direct to consumer mattress companies, you probably search for like mattress reviews. Almost all those websites are now owned by the mattress companies because people are looking for a product and they're essentially customers looking to buy. So you want to buy these websites. That way you can do all sorts of things, promote your products, advertise your stuff, make yours number one, anything with retargeting or Facebook, put the pixel on there. So this strategy is something that people do all the time. It's funny because a lot of smaller companies or small entrepreneurs don't even think about this. Every single big company out there does this. Amazon buys any company out there to sort of help their ecosystem. Oh yeah. It's the quickest way to scale, but people think they have to have lots of money to do it. And one of the things I teach is how do you buy a business using someone else's money? And people kind of go, what do you mean? That sounds like alchemy. And it's not that crazy, right? It doesn't work in all sectors, but you basically leverage the assets of the business and you get a loan against that. Very easy to get money at the moment. Then you do a concept called seller financing, which is basically like paying the business off over a period of time. So you effectively own the business, but you're paying the seller of that business back. And quite often you can get to deals where you can get it down to zero. I've actually yeah. bought a business before where it was none of my own money by doing that strategy. I think a lot of people think that taking loans or financing is bad, but it's actually easier, especially at least for now in the US, interest rates are so low. It's almost like getting free money because you're almost paying nothing to buy something that let's say you have a 1% interest rate and you know this business can make you 10%. That basically means you're just getting this hmm. business for free because you're paying yeah. interest is so much low. And they're so used to loans being bad. Yes, yeah, student loans is probably where you're traumatized because those are actually crazy. As you have a little bit of asset, you can leverage that in. I'm not sure if you do real estate, but real estate is sort of like this where you buy one or two houses and then you leverage those for your next house and you get bigger and bigger. And yeah, you're doing yeah. flipping. At the end of the day, like the businesses that I buy are not sexy tech startups yeah. in Palo Alto. They are car washers in Texas, yep. window fitting businesses in Florida. But you know, half of them haven't got a website, Kevin. Yep. I love these type of businesses because everybody wants to do like a sexy tech startup, but those are really hard to run and manage. And maybe you need to be a tech or a programmer. One of my first companies I ever did was a cleaning company, Maidservers. You don't need to have any sort of tech or knowledge. You just need to know how to run a business. And a lot of these other websites, when you're saying car washes, there's so many of them and you can just come in and make them a little better, make operations a little better. And then you can use that with other customers in that area of dry cleaning company. You can help promote cross promote. Precisely. Yeah. The other thing I'll just say to help on that is remember, there's a lot of risk in startup, right? Because you know, you've got to build the machine. You've got to make sure you've got a product that solves a problem. And then obviously you've got to go from revenue to profit at some point. A lot of the tech businesses obviously sell when they're just revenue generating, but I'm buying businesses that are making at least half a million EBITDA, Mm -hmm. usually over a million EBITDA being profit. I'm not buying any risk. I'm buying profit. And so when I take a loan out, it's not that I'm taking a loan out and then not having any money. More often than not, I can pay the loan back and also take cash out of the business. And usually it's a six figure sum. So it's a very, very different strategy and different um, set of tactics around it. Let's say are listening to this right now and saying, Hey, if a business is making me a million dollars in profit, why would I ever want to sell it? Why would I sell this profitable business? I can give some reasons why. I'll tell you a very, very quick story as to why I think flipping a business or selling a business is the right strategy, because it does depend on who you are. I'm about wealth and freedom. I like to have flexibility. I don't like to run businesses. I like to oversee them. As I said beforehand, I'll tell you this very quick story. It won't take too long. There was a guy I knew who had a, an energy business and he'd had it for over 10 years. And he effectively knew he was going to be selling it. It's a couple of years ago now, but he's going to be selling it, let's say in 12 months time. His take of that deal, personal take was going to be 65 million pounds. Nice bit of money. 
two things happened. It was a regulated business in the UK. So the government changed the tariffs and the EBITDA that that business was generating went from 8 million per annum to 800,000 per annum. Wow. And then he got a 14 million pound fine for something else. I can't remember the detail. He ended up having to distress sell that business for, in fact, the funny part about it was about 60,000 pounds. So he thought he was going to get 65 million and he yeah. got 60,000 pounds for 10 years work. I don't think I need to say anything else. That's yeah. the reason why you should build and sell it when you can make some money, because the risk of it being there forever is it's definitely a risk. The risk is what sometimes people don't think. Yes, the business is doing great right now, but are you the founder, the owner going to keep that momentum for the next five years? You're putting up so much time and energy and you just don't know what's going to happen. I sold my company because yes, it's doing great now, but in my mind, I was, I just don't know if I can keep that same energy for the next two years to make sure that until I'm finally ready. And you sometimes just want to sell because you know, it's at a high point right now. Sometimes you just don't want to get too greedy because you just, I'm happy with this. And yes, the business makes more money. You still feel good about it, but you made your money. This is going to be a controversial point. You don't really make money from owning a business that's generating a million EBITDA. Sounds all very sexy, right? But there's taxes and there's, there's ways around it, but there's taxes. I mean, when you sell a business and particularly if you have very clever ways of looking at offshoring and things like that, you're mitigating your tax liability so that you can then reinvest that capital. So I often say that maybe have a business that's profitable for income, but for wealth creation, only a business like that is not really the strategy. Certainly the levels we're talking about, obviously I'm sure Jeff Bezos yeah. would have a different view. You want a business that generates you cash flow that you can then pull out and use that to invest into other things. A lot yeah. of people don't realize you just want a business that gives you cash and you can use it for buying other businesses or leveraging for other assets. This is my philosophy. So I'm teaching you my approach to things or teaching listeners about how I'm doing it. But there are some people there who won't agree with it. That's cool, right? That's the thing. Yeah. But some people just aren't even aware that this type of activity can happen. They can create wealth through business acquisitions. Most people say real estate. Most people say stocks. Mm -hmm. But there are different mechanics out there, different um, instruments to do so. I feel like with anything, there's so many ways to do it. You need to just figure out what way you like doing. Some people love doing stocks. Yeah. Some people like doing real estate. Yeah. You have to use your skills and what you're good at. If you're good at business acquisitions, you're good at operations, then maybe this is the way. I know a lot of people do this through a big business I see right now that people are talking about is storage businesses, kind of like real estate, but a business on top of it. So you can use your assets. Plus also sometimes if you get really clever by using storage containers, you get tax credits because it's not really a development, it's under development. People are becoming really, really clever with that too. Yeah. I like those businesses too. They're good. You need to understand where you can be clever and use the tax benefits, breaks and loans to essentially make more money. Most people aren't putting their own cash. They're just leveraging the bank. The thing about it is money is effectively just energy. A lot of people have blockages around that and you've got to use the opportunities that are around you. I mean, I leverage debt all the time. In the UK, yeah. the interest rates are below 1%. Why would I not have loans? Now I'm not stupid with it. I don't go and borrow a hundred grand and then go and buy Bitcoin yeah. at the top of the market. But hundred grand to go into a deal business that's generating half a million pounds. I know I'm going to get that return. Using it smartly and effectively. So when you're acquiring your company and you're basically taking over, do the business owners stay with you or do they just say like, Hey, I'm done. Do you recommend that for yourself? And let's say someone wants to do this, or do you tell that business owner to stay with the company? Depends on the business. Okay. The businesses that I buy are usually off people at retirement age. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The psychology that I'm looking for is someone who's what I call a motivated seller. You could argue yep. a distressed seller. I want someone who's probably made their money, like they've had the business 30 years. It's a good business. They've made their money. Money's not the main motivation, mm -hmm. right? It's a motivation, but it's not the main motivation. If it was like someone in their thirties, forties, maybe they want to sell and make more. The second reason that I suppose profile, that demographic is important 
is I also want them to, to effectively feel like they don't want to be there anymore. So the most important thing for them is to not be in the business, but they want to leave a legacy. So they might have a team that's been with them for 20 years and they just don't want that team to lose their jobs. Cause a lot of the businesses that I'm looking at, they never find a buyer. It's something like only 10% of these businesses around those figures I was saying that ever get sold. So the only other option is they get wound down. That's the reason why I focus on that specific area. So to your question, a lot of the people, their motivation is not to be there. So what I definitely look for is to find another person in the business, like a general yeah. manager, who's just going to implement the strategies that we run the business through. So we yeah. run what's called a 90 day cadence. I look at a business where we're planning day every 90 days that used to be face to face when I would travel, but these days it's zoom. And then in between those 90 days, I have my GM have weekly reports. So yeah. metrics, and I review the business twice a week, Mondays yeah. and Fridays takes me yeah. 15 minutes. In the beginning, you're talking about acquiring distressed asset or somebody that kind of doesn't want to be there. Because for me, you know, I was telling you, Nick, was that outdoor gear company or that website I acquired, we contacted them about a year before we purchased them out. We initially made the offer. They're like, no, we're not ready. And then a year later, oh, let me just reach out to him and see if he's ready now. Essentially, he was telling me that like, hey, my wife is having surgery and now I need money. That's what I mean by distressed. Yeah. We're not looking for someone who's at their death's door, but I have had situations where that's part of it. A business that we got involved in, the founder died, he passed away and it was run by him and his wife and his wife just didn't want to be there anymore for obvious reasons. And so she was prepared to take hundred percent seller finance. So we yeah. paid her off just from the profits of the business. She just wanted yeah. it to be put into safe pair of hands. They're quite rare deals. The most important thing is rapport and understanding their motivations. How do you find these deals? But a big thing about it is poor and probably reaching out. I think a big thing for people, it's your first few deals are always hard. You don't have any trust, but if you've done it a few times and you have success, you can always say, Hey, look, I did it with Jim's company. You can go talk to him and see how we're taking care. Sometimes people don't, don't want you to just buy their business and then just like shut it down. Those deals don't happen in the deals that I do. And again, I'm very precise about what I go after to your question. Where do you find the deals? So I set it up like a machine. So I've got VAs, virtual assistants who effectively are looking for opportunities all the time. I try not to buy through brokers just because once that conversations happens, it can be quite challenging because there's a middleman, but the place to find these deals is accountants, having good relationships with a network of accountants, just being active as an investor, wealth managers. Very good sort of personal wealth advisors, lawyers. The way to think about this is if you're, let's say you're a person in your sixties and you're thinking you want to wind down. Probably the first person, well, there's two people you're going to tell. You're going to tell all your mates on the golf course and you're going to tell your accountant. You might not even tell your wife. You might leave <laughs> yeah. that. I've done a deal in a coffee shop just by going to my local coffee shop and positioning myself as someone who does deals. If you want to sell your business, go speak to Nick. So it's not rocket science, but it does take a little bit of thinking to set it up. If you want to be in a space, you need to be available. Of course, someone emails you talk to them, but also you have to have your knowledge of what you want to buy and how you want to be thinking of these acquisitions. That way you can make the business a fair offer and you don't want to look like someone that doesn't know what's going on. The average pricing is around about three times EBITDA, three times yeah. profit, which is quite low in general. It's a fair price for the size of business we're buying. I think the average is under that actually, but I like to then build these up for little bits and then sell them back to private equity. So we form yeah. groups. It's got a roll up. And the reason I do that is if you put three or four companies together in the same sector, or you can build a group, which has synergies against the customer segment, mm -hmm. you can buy it for three times 
and you can often sell it for six to eight or more. So you're yeah. getting a doubling down of your investment just on the exit value, let alone what value you can add from your own say, marketing expertise, et cetera. How big is your internal team that manages this whole thing? I know you mentioned you have VAs. I guess before Corona, were you having like an office where you all went together and worked? How did that structure look like for you? One of the first private equity deals I was involved in was over a decade ago, and it was the sale of um, Getty Images to one of the big PE firms. I wasn't like the CEO or anything. I was like a few, probably I was a director in the yep. business, but it was my first exposure to that world properly. Right. I did a deal before that, but it wasn't as big. And that was a 10 figure deal. So the point I was making really was that I worked virtually for over 10 years because my okay. teams were all over the world. My team now is 17 okay. and it's a mixture of VAs, advisors, legal mm -hmm. team, and finance. You basically, your team doesn't need to be massive for something like this. It's, you probably have a one or few people that you talk to when you want to acquire a company and then you go in, let's say you acquire a company. Do you immediately go in? What's like the first position you think about hiring when he's like, okay, I usually hire this person because I know that they're going to give me the most bang for the buck. If I bring them on to this company, I just acquired. I look for two roles. First and foremost, I never do a deal. <laughs> unless there is some, let's call it like a general manager. You could argue a managing director, but again, I'm not looking for someone strategic. I'm looking for someone who can take the strategy and implement it. So yep. you could argue that's almost like an ops person. Ops person, yep. So first and foremost, I make sure they've got that. They have to have that. There's no way I'm not going to buy a business and get in. I've been the CEO of a number of companies. Yep. I'm not going to go and be the chief executive one. I'm not, no interest. Then the next one I look for, the next hire, and it's usually a hire because they usually mm -hmm. haven't got this in the businesses I buy is marketing. Back to my point, they may not have a good website. They may not know anything about yeah. sales pages, social media, content marketing. They may never have even bought an ad. You can double a business quickly just yeah. by injecting some progressive marketing. What you're saying, hiring an ops person is important, at least for my businesses. As a founder, CEO, you have someone that helps execute the vision you have. The founder, CEO, is still doing that himself. And then nothing's probably documented. Nothing's probably broken down to a process that can be repeated over and over again. So I think having an ops person is important. For your company that probably means why it's working someone that just executes things right execution yeah. again i'll reference back to getty as i was mentioning before and the reason that business was so successful and i learned it when i was there is that they really only hired people who had the ability to get stuff done at such yeah. a high level this is the funny bit i wasn't there for all of this but they did 113 acquisitions in the space of something like six years that's crazy. That's a lot of acquisitions. And then the business, when I was there, sold for five, it was $5 billion it sold for. And I don't even count that in one of my deals because yeah. I wasn't as high up the chain, but, but I was there and yeah. I saw it. They're yeah. like number one now. Very strategic company, but delivered by extremely capable operations teams yeah. and people. One last question I have for you from the business you're buying, or maybe the businesses that there's probably a lot of businesses that you've seen. What do you think separate a great business leader from an okay one? What are some characteristics that you've seen? or that you think about? There's a number of different things, but I'll go through the top couple. The first one is, is strategic vision. It's so funny, I, I get involved in businesses that are just scaling up. So acquisitions is obviously where I focus, but I also get involved in just the mechanics of scale up, right? Because there's different things around it. And quite often a founder has lost their vision. They don't really right. know where they're going to head. They, they may have just lost their way. That's the first piece. So vision, absolutely crucial. The other thing that I find is they need to have a certain degree of resilience and underlined by that competence. You could argue it's self-belief. That doesn't mean, by the way, knowing all the answers or, but it means having the ability or the confidence to find out. Because I think, you know, again, if you're going to gravitate towards someone, you want to gravitate towards someone who has that, that belief. And the third bit I find is, is I'm going to call it empathy, but it's the ability to engage and to be able to meet people at the level that they need to be met, met at at any point in time. 
So if you bring those, there's different things I could say here, but if you bring yeah. those three components together, vision, that sort of confidence, resilience, self-belief and empathy, and you pull all that together, probably with a bias towards action. They're the leaders I find that really make something happen. They're the ones that make, you know, really great businesses become outstanding ones. From the businesses that I've read about and the people that I see, I think a big one is self-belief that they can get it done, but also touch it a little at the end. They can also execute. Yeah. Lots but, of people uh, don't take enough action, Kevin. It's a form of procrastination. So one of the things just to finish with, I've got multiple businesses and lots of different <laughs> things I'm doing, but I'm still absolutely disciplined in terms of my routine. Right now, as we're recording this, I'm on a personal 90 day cadence where I'm getting hardly any sleep. I haven't slept for 72 hours. I'm doing three deals. I've got a pipeline of business coming in through one of my businesses that is just incredible right now. And I just sort of said, well, listen, we're locked down. It's COVID and all this yeah, sort yeah. of stuff. You know what? I'm just going to absolutely go for three months, but then I'm not going to work the last three months of this year. I've taken yeah. off. Wants to have some sort of work-life balance and that's okay. But there's times where you just need to buckle down and I'm going to grind for the next X months and just get it done and then get him relaxed. But I think a lot of people sometimes want this work-life balance forever. Everyone's different, you see. Yeah. And I always say that the concept of balance is yeah. a subjective thing. Exactly. For me, I love working. I love doing this stuff. This is exciting for me. And when I'm not doing anything, I get bored. All right, Nick, where can people go connect with you, listen to your podcast, or even message you for any questions they might have? The latest craze that I'm on 24-7 at the moment <laughs> is Clubhouse. That's um, at Nick Bradley. So you can find me there. My website, if people want to come and look at the main stuff we do, which is around the podcast, is called um, Scale Up Your Business. But it's S-U-Y-B dot global. And of course, my podcast, you can listen to as well. That's available on all the, the main places, iTunes, Spotify, 138 yeah. episodes in now, growing by the days. I often say, if anyone wants to know anything about anything that I do or yeah. whatever, they can get it all from the Nick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot from you. For you, it's like something I want to be doing later on in my life. So hopefully- <laughs> Awesome. A lot of people say that, by the way, Kevin. Yeah. So yeah. always happy to help when you're ready for that. So yeah. yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Bye-bye. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.